Good morning, brothers and sisters. A warm welcome to you all. And if you're a visitor here this morning, it's really wonderful to have you here too. Welcome. We're here to worship our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's our prayer that his name is lifted high, praised, and glorified through our worship here today. May all of us here be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Kazistri has the following announcements. In order to fill the vacancy for four elders and two deacons, Kazistri has nominated for the office of elder the brothers Andrew Bolhurst, Sean Brand, Tim Everts, Chris Hidding, Francois Osthosen, Jack Van Dongen, Jono Vermeulen, and Martin Visser. For the office of deacon, Kazistri has nominated, nominated the brothers Bruce Husinger, Ashley Mulder, Martin Pott and Jos van Dijk. The election is scheduled for Sunday the 8th of October following the morning worship service. Brother Theo van Dijk and Sister Olivia Hidding have indicated their intention to enter into the marriage state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and to complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Friday the 6th of October at 12.30pm at the Free Reform Church of Darling Downs with Reverend Poppy officiating. You are reminded of our annual general meeting scheduled for tomorrow evening at 8pm with coffee available from 730 we're thankful that Reverend Poppy could return safely from overseas this past week and he will lead us in worship this morning. And as we prepare our hearts for worship, let's join our voices together and let's sing from hymn 56, verse 2 and 3. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord.
As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing together a song of praise to God, Psalm 107, verse 1. This morning we get to hear the word of God concerning what it means to live in a covenant relationship together with God. Part of that covenant relationship is that the Lord gives us his law. It's, these are often called the ten words of the covenant. And it's in this law that the Lord spells out the ethical response that he wants from us in response to the blessings that he's given to us. So let's listen to the law of the Lord our God as it comes to us in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, 
or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. In response to the law, let's sing together from Psalm 25, verse 3. Let's now pray to God and let's ask him for his blessing. <clears throat> Dear God, Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you are a covenant God, that you've entered into a relationship with us. And thank you, Lord, that in the covenant, the greatest gift you give us is the gift of yourself. You are our father and we are your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you that you have secured these covenant blessings for us through the work of your, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you sent your Son to do for us what we failed to do, and that through his work and for his sake, that you're willing to accept us, that you're willing to include us in your family, that you're willing to love and to bless us. Dear Father in heaven, we're grateful that we may come here this morning in order to pursue this relationship with you. Thank you for allowing us to have a day off every week, and thank you for calling us into your presence. And thank you, Lord, for meeting with us 
very first thing you extend to us are words of grace. And the last thing you, you tell us are, again, words of grace. And we, we honor you for that, because we need that, Lord. We come to you this morning and we confess that many times we don't live in covenant faithfulness before you. Lord, we're sinners. This past week, again, we've, we've committed many sins against you. And we stand before you with empty hands. We plead with you, Father, that you would remember your great mercy, which has been of old. And we ask that you call to mind your steadfast promise, that you would forgive us the sins we've committed, and the rebellion that we have against you. Lord, don't hold our transgressions against us, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, please wash us clean. And then, Lord, we pray that we may continue with you in this relationship that you've established. Grant that we may love you from the heart, that we may pursue you, that we walk with you, and that we rest under your blessing. This morning, we're hoping to open your word to consider what that really looks like. And we pray, Father, for a blessing over the proclamation of the gospel. Help us to realize, to understand and appreciate what you've done for us in Christ. And help us to live out of this covenant relationship that you've given us. Please do these things, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I get to preach to you God's word as it comes to us in Genesis 17. The first verses of Genesis 17, the Lord teaches us about his covenant relationship that he made with us. And in connection with that, we're going to look more broadly this week and next week. I'd like to look more broadly with you at what does it mean to live in covenant fellowship with God. And so we're going to start with reading two passages of the scriptures. First, Genesis 9, that talks about God's covenant with Noah. And then we're going to look at Genesis 17, God's covenant with Abraham. So I invite you to open your Bible first. Genesis 9, we're going to read the verses 8 through 17. So in Genesis 9, just after the occasion of the flood, then in verse 8, God's word continues, Then the Lord said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth that is with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all the future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So far. Then we turn in our reading a few pages ahead. We're going to go to Genesis 17. Find that on page 14 of your guest Bible.
So in Genesis 17, the text for this morning is the first eight verses of this chapter, and then we're going to read the rest of the chapter just to put it into context. So Genesis 17, starting at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. 
And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in, in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the, the faithfulness of the Lord to his covenant promises. We're going to sing once again from Psalm 25, this time the verses 5 and 7. So the text for the sermon this morning is taken from the passage we just read together from Genesis 17. Maybe we'll just read together once again the the first eight verses there. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. (laughs) 
In Genesis 17, verse 1, there God's word says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. But Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 105, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, some time ago, a brother in our congregation approached me and he asked me the question, what is the covenant? Now we talk about it all the time. We are God's covenant people. We emphasize that our children are covenant children. And we talk about the fact that they're included in God's covenant and that they grow up in this covenant relationship. But the question is, what does it actually mean? What is the covenant? What does it mean to live in covenant relationship with God? What are the parameters of that? And what does that look like? And what does that mean for us? You know, it's a really important question. Because as Reformed people, this is a core part of our identity. We do talk an awful lot about the fact that we are covenant people. And we, this is something that also distinguishes us from many other Christian people. One of the reasons we, we have distance from Baptists is because of the teaching of the covenants. We're also distinct from, you know, from many others who call themselves Christians, from, from Roman Catholics, you know, from a lot of Pentecostal, charismatic people, from all sorts of different people from different churches. Many people don't understand the nature of God's covenant dealings with his people. And yet it's, it's really a, a central part of biblical teaching. Well, the question is, what is the covenant? What does it mean to live in covenant relationship? It's really interesting. I ask that question periodically of my catechism students, my pre-confession students. They give me a bunch of different answers. The covenant is a promise and an obligation. Somebody else puts up their hand. And they say, well, the covenant is, is a relationship. It's a relationship of love. And someone else says, no, 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 a covenant is a tree. It's a contract that you make between two parties. You know, it's interesting, there's, there's truth to all of that. It is all of that. And yet the question becomes, what does that actually mean? 
How does that function? And how do you live in covenant relationship with God? Well, it is indeed a treaty. It is a, you could even say a contract. When God enters into covenant with his people, then he makes commitments. And he also calls us to make commitments to him. And in that sense, there is a a treaty that happens between him and his people. But it's not a contract or a treaty in the normal sense of the word. Because most treaties that you make with people, you don't have a personal relationship with them. You have a covenant, you have a business dealing together with someone, and you do a deal with them, and you sign a covenant with them, and then you fulfill the terms of the covenant obligations. But when you enter into covenant with God, it's, it's not a sterile arrangement. No, it's a, it's a very personal matter. It's about relationship. At the heart, at the core of the covenant relationship that we have with God, sorry, the covenant we have with God, is a relationship. It is a relationship of love. And the reason for that is because the core thing that God gives in covenant with us is not just stuff. It's not just do this, do this, do that, and do this, and then I will love you and bless you and take care of you and do whatever else. The core part of the covenant covenant is a relationship. God says, I will be your God. And we say to God, we will be your people. And it is that personal element of commitment and responsibility to each other that stands at the heart of the covenant relationship that we may have with the Lord. And then if you take it a step back, if you look at the biblical covenants that God has made with different people at different times, then you see that what underpins all of them and what stands at the heart of all of them is a promise to bless. God takes the initiative to enter into covenant relationship because he wishes to bless us. That's the heart of it. He wants to bless you. He wants to to give you great gifts. And it's that motive of wanting to bless and that motive of wanting to give great gifts to you that that determines and that flavors the nature of covenant relationship. And then the Lord says to us, he says, since I desire to bless you, and since I I intend to extend that blessing into your life, he says, the most important thing I want from you is that I want you to receive that. I want you to accept my covenant promises. And I want you to respond in love to me as I have loved you. And it's within that context that that the greatest thing in the covenant that God can give, the greatest way in which he can bless, is the gift of himself. If you want the best thing in the world, then the best thing ever is to know God, is to have a relationship with him, to have intimacy with him. And so that's what stands at core to covenant relationship. God comes to us and he says, I'm going to give you myself. And since he does that, he says, and what I want from you is I want you to give me yourself. And so the central theme of covenant relationship is that the Lord gives himself to us. 
and he wants us to give ourselves to him. Well, brothers and sisters, that's the broad outline of what it means to live in covenant relationship with God. What I'd like to do with you this morning is, is we're going to look at especially the covenant that God established with Abraham. We're going to see the parameters because God sets out these parameters in this relationship. And then what we're going to do in, in the following week, I'm not sure if it's going to take one or two weeks, but we're going to take a look at, at some of the thorny questions around that. Who is actually included in the covenant? And we're going to look at the question of what does God expect of us? What are the obligations of the covenant? And then the really difficult question is, is the covenant conditional? If you don't live up to covenant calling to the demands of the covenant, does that mean that you don't receive the blessings of the covenant? And if it is conditional, what does that mean for our relationship with God? Is our relationship with God dependent upon our response to God? And how does God deal with us when we're not faithful as we ought to be? This morning we... We'll start just with, with Abraham. And to set the context, we're actually going to go back to Noah. And following weeks, we'll do the rest. I, I've summarized our text with the theme, the Lord establishes a covenant with Abram and his offspring. I've also changed the points. I have three points listed there. First is the gift of the covenant. And the second is the calling of the covenant. And the third was the nature of the covenant. But I've gotten rid of that third point and just included that in the first two. So we'll start by looking at the gift of the covenant, and then we'll go on to the calling of the covenant. Our text begins by saying, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And the first thing I'd ask you to notice here, brothers and sisters, is that the Lord is the one who takes the initiative in establishing a covenant. God came to Abraham, and God says, I establish a covenant between me and you. That's actually what he says in verse 7. I establish the covenant. And this is really important because it's not Abraham who went to God in the first place. It's not that he, that he prayed to God and he said, God, here I am. And I really love you, and I really want a relationship with you, and I'm asking if we can do a deal and if we can enter into a covenant together. Now, initially, the scripture actually tells us it was God who took the, the initiative, and Abraham wanted nothing to do with God. It's back in Genesis 12, we're told that the Lord called Abraham from his country and family and sent him to Canaan. And if you go to Joshua 24... Joshua 24, verse 2, it tells us the truth of Abram's life at that time. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abram from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Abram and his forefathers lived beyond the river Euphrates, and they worshipped other gods. And it's when they're in that state that God came to Abraham and he says, Abram, I want you to come out of there. And I want you to go to Canaan. And I establish a covenant together with you. God takes the initiative. He calls and he establishes. 
The basis for covenant relationship is with God and not with us. What's well, a very kind thing that the Lord does for us, brothers and sisters, is he wants a relationship with you. And so he takes the initiative and he calls you. And he says, you and you and you, I'm going to enter into a relationship with you. And I want to, to have fellowship together with you. If you want a, an analogy, if you want to, maybe an illustration will help here. It's kind of like a family. Just imagine, you know, this beautiful family. The father is a good dad, great role model, provides good leadership. The mother is, is a really beautiful woman. She has a lot of love and nurture in her heart. And then one day, they have a child. Well, that child didn't choose to be born into that family. That child had no say about the matter whatsoever. They were just born into that family. And that was a, it was a gift of God. It's a result of the action of their parents. And so they, they enter into this familial relationship as a great gift. Well, it's the same thing that we have in covenant relationship with God. He takes the initiative and he includes us in his covenant. And what does the Lord intend in establishing this covenant with Abram? Well, he intends to bless him. He wants to bless Abram and his descendants. He wants to bless the nations and kings that come from him. To understand this, this may be helpful to go back a few chapters in Genesis. The first covenant that God established in Genesis is his covenant with Noah. And it's really remarkable in several ways. We just read together from Genesis chapter, eight, chapter 9. We read those verses together where God set up this covenant. In the first place, one of the remarkable things is that this covenant is universal in nature. God sets up a covenant with Noah and with his children and with his descendants after him. But then he says, he sets up the covenant also with the birds and also with the beasts, with every animal that is on the face of the earth. And he reiterates that several times. It's with all creation, it's with every animal, it's with every creature that lives on the earth. There's a universal scope to the covenant with God. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that stands out is that there's no condition to the covenant. God doesn't come to Noah and he doesn't say, Noah, I'm going to bless you and I promise never to again destroy the earth with a flood on the condition that you walk in faithfulness and obedience before me. No, there is no condition. In fact, if you go back a chapter, you go back to chapter 8, then the very last part of chapter 8, the Lord says that he knows us. It says that he knows that the inclination of man is evil from his youth. God has no illusions about the goodness of people. We are evil, and that is our nature. And yet, since he acted in judgment in the flood, he doesn't want us to live the rest of our lives living in fear of another flood. He doesn't want us to think to ourselves, oh no, we made a mess of this world and we're really sinful. And one of these days he's going to come down on us and he's going to destroy the world again with a flood. And so right at the very beginning, he sets up this covenant and he says, I promise that as long as earth endures, I will never again send a flood to destroy all living creatures that live on the earth. 
Well, it's really quite a blessing, brothers and sisters. The blessing is not dependent upon who you are and who I am. It's a blessing that's dependent upon God. And that shows you a little bit of the flavor of God's covenant dealings with his people. He is a God who intends to bless. And the reason he enters into this special relationship with creation and also with us is because of his intent to bless. He wants it to go well with us because he is a good God and because his heart is filled with love. And so he enters into this special bond, first with creation and now with us, so that he can bless us. Well, what an incredible God that we get to worship. Then after promising to make Abram into a great nation back in Genesis 12, then the Lord reiterates that promise in Genesis 15. It's really interesting. Abram had been waiting for several decades at this time. God had told him when he was 75 years old that he's going to have a son. And now he's wondering if he's ever going to have that son. Decade after decade, he was waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing happened. And so he said, well, maybe, Lord, maybe Eliezer, my servant, maybe he's the one who's going to inherit all that I have. And the Lord says to him, he says, never mind, Abram. He says, I made you a promise. And so he called him outside his tent, and he says, Abram, I want you to look up. And I want you to try to number the stars if you can. Because your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the sky." Well, Abram responds, I believe you, Lord. He says, how do I know that's actually going to happen? How do I know that you're actually going to give me the land that you've promised to me? And then the Lord does a special thing. He takes, he tells Abram, he says, Abram, I want you to take a bunch of animals. I want you to bring a heifer and a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. I want you to take those animals and I want you to cut them in half. You hack the animals in half, and you lay the two sides opposite each other. Then we're told that this deep sleep comes on Abram. This terror comes over him. And when he's in this place, then he sees this, this burning fire, this flaming pot that goes between the two rows of animals. And it's in that context that we're told, God said to him, Know for certain that your offspring will become sojourners in a foreign land, but after 400 years, I will judge the nation they serve, and they will come out from there and take possession of this land. And then it says, literally, Genesis 15, verse 18, on that day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham. He didn't establish a covenant. He didn't make a covenant. He cut a covenant. Because that's what you did. You cut a covenant. You took the animals and you cut them in half. And then both parties passed through the midst of the animals. And in so doing, you were saying, I promise you that I'm going to be true to my word. And if I'm not true, if I break my treaty, then may what happened to those animals also happen to me. Well, very striking in this situation, the Lord is the only one who went between the animals. It's a little hint 
of what's coming. God's saying to his people, he's saying, you don't have what it takes to live in covenant faithfulness. But I'm not going to make you bear the covenant curse. I'm willing to bear the curse for you. The Lord Jesus Christ has come to bear the curse of the covenant for all those who look to him in faith. Well, what's so fascinating about this event, brothers and sisters, is that this was the context for making covenants in the ancient Near East. Most of the time back then, you had these city-states. You had a small town, a city, and you had the king of a city. And usually what happened is that these kings, they gathered together with more powerful kings. So you'd have one king who was really strong, he had a really powerful city, and oftentimes a weaker king would go to him and ask to make a covenant together with him. He would make a treaty, a bereath, that's the word here. And in the treaty, he would promise him, he would say, listen, if you ever go to war, then I promise that my men will come and fight for you. And the powerful king promised, if someone ever attacks you, then I promise that I'll come to defend you. And then often part of the covenant is that the weaker king would often pay tribute to the stronger one. And so they would make this covenant, they would cut the animal in half, they would both pass through the through between the animals, and it was a, a sign that they would be true to their word. And they would help and defend each other whenever that was necessary. Well, that's, that's what the Lord builds off here in this situation. He's saying, I will be faithful, Abraham. I promised to give you descendants. And I promised to give you the land. And I want you to know that I will be true to those promises. Well, what's different in the Lord's covenant with his people, there's three differences that stand out here. The first difference is that the Lord is the one who takes the initiative. Usually it was the weaker, the weaker party who approached the stronger and said, can you please help? I need help, I need help protection. But this time it's the strong party. It is the Lord who, who approaches his people. And he takes the initiative to establish the covenant. And then the second thing, what we mentioned, not both parties pass through the midst of the animals, but it's only the Lord who passes through the midst. And then the third way that the flavor of this covenant is different is that the Lord doesn't enter into this covenant relationship because he's dependent upon Abram in any way. It's not that he needs Abram's help to, to assist him in any way. No, he enters into this covenant because he wants to bless him. And it's really striking, if you read through the passage of our text this morning, it's just bursting with promises that the Lord has for Abram. In the first place in verse 2, the Lord says to him, I will multiply you greatly. I promise to give you many descendants, Abraham. You will become as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. Well, that's an incredible promise, especially for a 99-year-old man. But Abram believed God. He trusted that God could do what he said. And then in verse 4, the Lord develops the thought. God says to him, you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. It's not just one nation. It's not just the Israelites who are going to come from you. But there's a multitude of nations. There are many nations who are going to come from you. In verse 5, the Lord expands on that, no longer shall your name be called Abram, 
But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. The Lord promises Abraham that initially it will be his, his immediate descendants, the Israelites, who will be blessed through him. But he says beyond that, there are going to be many nations. We know from Galatians 3 that this is a reference to, to the blessing of Abraham to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. It is through Abraham that God intends to bless all nations on earth. God gets back to that actually in Genesis 18. He refers to how all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And the New Testament, we understand that this is especially through the great son of Abraham, through our Lord Jesus. Anyone who believes in Christ is included in covenant with God. The reason we today may be a part of God's covenant is not because we're Jews. It's not because we share the blood lineage of Abraham. But we're included because we believe in the God of Abraham. We believe in Jesus Christ, and it's through Christ. It's all those who believe in Christ who are the true descendants of Abraham. And that leads to verse 8 there. The Lord continues with another blessing. He says, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of their sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. You're going to get the land, Abram. You don't have to wander forever. I took you from Ur of the Chaldeans. I brought you into this land. You know, right now, you don't really own any of it. But one day, your children are going to have their own place. They're going to be a great nation, and this land in which you are now standing is going to become your land. Well, that was another incredible blessing of God. For a sojourner, if you're living in a tent, if you're living out of a suitcase, there's nothing better than to have a home. And the land was not just a home, but the land symbolized that they were the people of God. This was God's land. And so those who lived in this land were the people of God. Well, it's another promise that reaches its fulfillment through Jesus Christ. The gift of the land is an inheritance from God. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says that we share in that inheritance through faith in Christ. And it is through faith in Christ that we look forward to the promised land. There's a new world that's coming that we get to share by faith in Jesus Christ. And so in these, these verses, verse 1, verse 2, verse 4, sorry, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, 6, and 8, the Lord spells out all these different blessings that he has for Abraham. But you know, that doesn't really capture the heart of that. Because the heart of it is the last verse, the last part of verse 8. After promising the gift of land, the Lord ends by saying, and I will be their God. I'll give you the land, I'll give you the land to your descendants, and I will be their God. The greatest thing that God has in store for his people is that he will be their God, and we will be his people. Since the Lord is the source of life, since he's the source of blessing, since he's the one who has power over all things, since he's the source of all love, 
And the greatest gift that he can ever give us is the gift of himself. And he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, this is what I promise to you. I promise that you are my son and I will be your God. If you want to appreciate it, brothers and sisters, maybe go back to the illustration of a family. You have a family, and in a family, dad and mom can give a lot of good gifts to their children. They can give food and drink. They can give clothing. They can give a house, a room in a house. They can give education and transportation. They can give security and safety to their children. And those are all really important things. But you know, none of those things really stands at the heart of what it means to belong to a family. If you belong to a family, the greatest thing is that you belong. That mom and dad are your mom and dad, and that you are their child, and that they love you, and that they will take care of you. The core of of the relationships that we have in families is the fact that there there is a unique bond that we have together with each other. And it is in this bond that we love one another and we care deeply for each other. And we do what we can to, to assist and to help and to serve each other. Well, in the covenant with God, the greatest thing he gives us is not just land, and it's not just descendants, and it's not just that nations are going to come from you, but the greatest gift is himself. He says, Abraham, I will be your God, and you will be my son. And I will be God to your descendants after you, and they will be my children. When you enter into a covenant with God, brothers and sisters, it's not just a contract. It's not just a treaty. It's a relationship. The Lord loves you. And he says, you're mine. And I'm going to look after you. And I'm going to have fellowship together with you. Next week, we're going to see at some of the key points in Israel's history, the Lord reminds his people of some of the blessings of the covenant. At the Exodus, he's going to remind them of the promise of the land. At Sinai, he's going to remind them of the calling to obedience and how he's fulfilled the promise that he gave in the Exodus. Later on, when they get into the promised land, he's going to remind them of this promise of land that he, had, that he offered to them and now he, how he now fulfilled that. And when David comes along, he's going he's to make him into a king over his people and he's going to remind him of the promise right at the very beginning that kings and nations are going to come from Abraham. But what's so striking is that whenever these promises are fulfilled, that they're always put into the bigger context where God reminds them of the ultimate promise. He says, I am your God and you are my people. And so I'll use just one example to illustrate. It's in Exodus 6 verse 7. That the people were groaning. And the Lord saw that they were groaning and he remembered his covenant and he redeemed them with great acts of judgment. And then he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I told Abraham that his descendants are going to be slaves in a foreign land and that 400 years I'm going to bring them back. And when God brings them back, he not only says, hey, listen, I made this promise to rescue you, 
Now he says, I made the promise to be your God. And I want you to remember that. I am your God. And you are my people. Well, that is the promise that is extended to you, brothers and sisters. You who believe in Jesus Christ. God says to you, I am your God. And you are my people. And I give myself to you. I allow you to have relationship with me. I am your father, and you are my sons and daughters. And I love you, and I open my heart to you. That is the greatest gift that you could ever have, brothers and sisters. That is the heart of the relationship that we have with God. The reason we as Reformed people put so much emphasis on the doctrine of the covenant is because it teaches us the core nature of the relationship that we have with God. He is a God who has an act of love and favor, as an act of grace. He reaches out to us and he includes us in his family and he opens his heart to us and he gives us of himself and he calls us to respond to that, to give ourselves to him. And we'll see that in the second point then, the calling of the covenant. It's alongside of these great gifts that the Lord comes to Abraham with calling. You see it in verse 10, just outside of our text there, but verse 10 of the chapter, God says to Abraham, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. Abraham, you need to be circumcised, you and all your household. Well, you look at that, brothers and sisters, and superficially, it seems rather undemanding. What kind of a calling is that? What kind of demand is that? It's a physical, it's an outward thing. And yet, that's only looking at it superficially. It's very interesting, the rest of the chapter we're told that that very day, Abram was circumcised and all the males in his household. He obeyed the command of the covenant. He did what God said. But then when you keep reading through the scriptures, then the Lord shows us that what stands behind this call to circumcision is not just an outward event. Now what the Lord really wants is he wants Abraham to commit his heart to him in practical obedience. It is in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 22, the Lord shows us the meaning behind circumcision. What God fundamentally wants is that his people circumcise their hearts. That they not just cut off a little bit of flesh, but that they cut off sin from their hearts. Anything that is sinful within them needs to be cut away and needs to be put away. And this is actually the foundational calling of our text. In verse 1, when God first comes to Abraham, then he says to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Abraham, my calling to you is that you walk before me. I want you to walk with me. I will reveal myself to you and I will give myself to you. And I want you to respond by giving yourself to me. And I want you to walk with me. 
to have fellowship with me, to have intimacy with me. And then the Lord spells that out. He says, walk before me and be blameless. This word for blameless, the word tamim, it's a really interesting Hebrew word. It means, at core, it means to be whole or to be complete. It doesn't mean that you're sinless. It's not perfect. That's not the, the sense of the word. But rather, the sense of the word here is that you have integrity of character. What you see is what you get. There's an internal consistency in your life. It means that, that there's a wholeness within you that, that reach, there's a sincerity within you that reaches deep down inside of you. It means that your life is devoted towards the Lord and that there's no corners hidden in your heart that are devoted to sin. If you want a real example of that, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he sees Nathanael coming to him, then in John 1 verse 47, he says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. There's no guile. There's no hidden corners of sin in Nathanael's heart. What you see on the outside is what lives on the inside. And that is the calling that God gives to Abraham. Abraham, you must walk before me and you must be blameless. And then in the next chapter, the Lord works that out a little more fully. It's in Genesis 18, verse 19, immediately after telling us how Abraham circumcised his household, that God met with Abraham to affirm the purpose for which he called him. He told him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. For he says, this is the way in which God would bring about for Abraham what he promised to him. Abraham, you need to do what's right and just. And by now, brothers and sisters, you should know that these are two of the biggest words in the Old Testament. Righteousness refers to being in a right relationship with God. It means that, that you have an open relationship where you live according to the commands that he, that he sets out before you. There's nothing between you and God, but you're right with him. And if you're righteous in relationship with other people, it means that there's nothing between you. You don't sin against them, they're not sinning against you. You are in a right relationship with them. You fulfill the obligations of the nature of the relationship. And if you're just, then it means that you do what it takes to set things right when it goes wrong. So if you sin against your wife and if you lie to her, then if you're just, then you confess that you've lied and you ask for forgiveness and you set it right. And if you sin against your parents and you rebel against them, you don't listen to what they say, then to be just means that you confess that you've been rebellious and you ask your parents to forgive you and you set it right between you and them. And so what the Lord teaches Abraham here is that he teaches him, he says, to live in covenant fellowship with me. He says you need to, to walk the way of ethical obedience. You need to, to be blameless, to have integrity, to do what's right in your relationship with me and with the people around you. And if things go wrong, then you need to take it in hand. And you need to set things right between you and others. It's very interesting that the Lord says that to Abraham because in Genesis 18, the context within which he says it is that he's about to reveal to Abraham what he's going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
You can walk in the way of Sodom, and that leads to judgment and destruction. And he says to Abraham, but you, Abraham, I want you to walk in the way of the Lord, to walk in righteousness and justice. And then I will open my heart to you. I will reveal my heart to you. I will confide in you. And the Lord does that. He confides to Abraham what he's about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. We sang of it in Psalm 25. The Lord confides in those who fear him. Literally, it has a connotation of the Lord is friends with those who fear him. This is the calling of the covenant, brothers and sisters. He calls you to faith and to obedience. Now, by nature, we're not righteous people. By nature, it's really hard for us to execute justice. When we sin against others, then our natural inclination is to cover it over. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to confront it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to do the justice that's required to set it right. And so our natural inclination is to do evil, to have sin hiding in the corners of our hearts, and to cover it over when it goes wrong. And it is for that reason that the Lord sent his son to do for us what we failed to do. What we're going to go through in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what it means to live in covenant relationship in the, the core events of Israel's history, in the Exodus and at Sinai, and in getting the promised land. And then when you're in the promised land, then in, in the exile, and in the restoration after the exile. And in between there, you also have David, and giving David as a king. Well, in each of those contexts, you have God's promises that are renewed to his people. And every time it's a promise that looks for fulfillment. There's a calling that you be a certain way and that you do a certain thing. But it looks to a greater fulfillment because it looks to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who was righteous and who acted justly. He is the only one who loved God with all his heart and who walked with him in the way that God intended. He's the only one who is truly blameless before God, that there is no sin hidden in the the corners of his heart. And it is for that reason that he is the only one who can restore you into covenant fellowship with God so that you live with the Lord as he intends. If you try to do it in your own strength, brothers and sisters, you will fail. You will not have it in you to be able to do what God calls you to do. And for that reason, he sent Jesus Christ to do it for you. Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant blessings that God has extended to you. It is through faith in Christ that you share in all his righteousness. And so it is through faith in Christ that all the covenant blessings of God are given to you. The core calling of covenant relationship is to look to Christ and believe in him. It is when you know Christ as your Lord and Savior that every blessing of God is given to you. His greatest intention, brothers and sisters, is that he wants to bless you. He entered into this relationship with you because that's who he is. He's a good God whose heart is filled with love and who intends to bless his people. 
And so he tells us this is what it looks like. And then when we fail, then he sends his son to do it for us so that we can still receive his covenant blessing. And so the calling is that we may believe in Jesus Christ, that we look to him as our savior, and that through him, that we engage in a deep covenant relationship of love together with our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from Psalm 105, in the verses 1 through 4 there. We're going to sing of the, the covenant relationship that we have with the Lord our God.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. <clears throat> in our prayer this morning, we'll also remember our sister, Honey Wagoner. Sister has, um, she has a tumor on her lung. It's grown in the past while, and so they need to do surgery on that. First, they're going to do biopsy to see what's going on. So we'll pray that God would, would bless our sister, bless the work of the doctors, and that he would continue to give her the peace that she now has. Let's pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank and praise you, Lord, that you have entered into a covenant with us. Thank you for taking the initiative to reach out to us. You did it initially to Abraham, but then you taught us later in the scriptures, Lord, that, that all those who believe in Jesus Christ are considered to be children of Abraham. Lord, we understand why Christ is so important, because the calling of the covenant is that we open our hearts to you as you have opened your heart to us. It's that we love you, as you have loved us. It's that we give ourselves to you as you have given yourself to us. And Lord, we have to confess to you that we have failed in that. You are a faithful God. Your heart is filled with love towards us. You have the intention to bless us. And you've offered yourself to us. But Lord, our hearts wander. We see other things. We want other people. And we want other things, the idols of our hearts. We allow those things to, to fester and to lurk in the corners of our heart, and so we don't give ourselves freely and fully to you. We are not blameless, Lord. We are not righteous, as you call us to be. We don't exercise justice, as you would have us do. And so we stand before you with empty hands. And we plead with you, Lord, that you look upon us through the blood of your Son. We believe in Jesus Christ, and we understand that he has offered the perfect covenant to obedience that you required. He loved you with a whole heart, and he trusted you, and he lived for you, and there was no hint of sin in his heart whatsoever. And so, Lord, we look to him as our Savior, and we plead with you that, that his righteousness may be accounted on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that for his sake, that you have established a covenant with us and with our children. And we pray then, Lord, that you would help us to live out that covenant relationship. Grant that we can be a part of your family, that we may understand what a precious gift that is. Grant that we may have fellowship with the rest of the family, with the rest of your people, whoever they may be. Thank you, Lord, that you put us into this family here in our church, that you give us to each other, that we get to know each other, and we get to love each other, and we get to live together as your children. And thank you, Lord, that you, you give us the love so that we can reflect that love in our dealings with one another and our dealings with you. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us with your Holy Spirit, that we would walk in your ways, that we would love you with our whole heart, and that we'd be devoted to, your, to you and to your name. We ask, Lord, that you help us to adore you and to worship you, that we pray to you often, that we love to sing songs to you, that we love to have times of fellowship with you where we read your word, where we take to heart what you say to us, where we meditate upon the truth of the scriptures, where we use these things to walk in intimate fellowship together with you. Father, please help us for the sake of your Son and by the power of your Spirit that we may have an intimate relationship with you. You have promised us, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And so for the sake of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would fulfill this promise. Lord, to this end, we also confess our sins to you, we're sorry that we have wandering hearts. We confess our idolatry. We confess, Lord, that, that many times we set other things 
center stage in our life. It's usually ourself, our reputation. It's our interests. We pursue our own glory. We want money for ourselves. And we want other people to show us the respect that we want. And Lord, these, these things show us how, how much we need you and how much we need a Savior. Please make us into new people. Please draw us near to you. Father, we thank you for the gift of the gospel message this morning. Also grateful that this gospel message may go out at Seaforth Gardens later today. I want to pray for your blessing over that, Lord, that the message may indeed go out, that also these elderly people may put their hope and trust in you, and that they may share in the gift of your, your grace. Dear Father in heaven, we also want to pray that you take care of each one of us in the individual circumstances of our lives. Lord, you know us. You know the, the beautiful things that are going on in our lives, and you know some of the struggles that we face. Thank you for knowing us, and thank you for loving us in the midst of that. We pray that you help each one of us personally with the individual things that we're dealing with. Help us, Lord, to have an open heart to you. Grant that, that you would please be with any young people in our midst here today, Lord, who, who struggle with doubt and who struggle with temptations to sin and who who struggle with wondering about where their place really is and if they really belong to you. Lord, if there are those who don't believe in you, we pray that you would work faith in their hearts. And for those who are wandering away from you, we pray that you would bring them back. We ask, Lord, that, that you would work repentance in us and that you keep us close to you. Pray also for those who are under doctor's care. There's a number of members of our congregation who have specific health concerns. We remember our sister Wagonar. We want to pray, Father, for your help and blessing for her. Thank you that you continue to preserve her, and thank you for the peace that she may have. She now has this, this tumor on her lung that's growing. And we want to pray for a blessing over the work of the doctors, that they're able to determine what's really going on there and, and how they can best help her. Please give them insight, and please bless the, the treatments that they have in, in store for her. And then we pray most of all, Lord, for her and for her husband and family, that you give them the peace of Christ that she may be deeply secure in your love towards her, in your promises towards her in Christ. Father, we also remember our brother Wally Tenhaf. I want to pray that you be near to him. He continues to struggle with fluid on the lungs, and there's quite a number of other significant health concerns that our brother is, is coming to terms with. The doctors are trying to, to find a balance to be able to treat him, and there's lots of different things that they need to, to look after to be able to help him. And so we pray, Lord, for a blessing over the work of the doctors. We ask that you would be near to our brother, that you also continue to give him the peace of Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, that he has the security in his heart. Thank you that, that he and also his wife, Leone, that they can support one another through these things. And we pray for your grace and for your blessing during this time. Please show him mercy, Lord, and please sustain him and sustain her. Thank you for being their God. Father, we also pray that you be near to all the other senior members of our congregation who are struggling with health concerns. There's quite a few people who have significant concerns and, and those who, who need your help in specific ways. And we ask that you, you would indeed be a father to them and that you, you sustain and uphold them. We also want to ask, Father, that you please would be with us as a congregation. We're hoping to meet together tomorrow evening for our annual general meeting. We're thankful, Lord, for all the blessings that you have given to us. We're hoping to reflect on some of those blessings. At the same time, we're hoping to have a meeting of encouragement where we, where we can pass a budget and where we're also able to, 
to make some plans for, for worship of you and, and working together as, as your people. Please bless the time that we have together. And please grant that we may have a, an encouraging and an upbuilding meeting. Father, please continue to bless the work of consistory. We ask that you would grant wisdom to the brothers and all the visits that they make. We're so grateful, Lord, for, for the love that you have put in their hearts for the members of the congregation. We pray that this may continue. We also pray for the work of the deacons, that they may love and support your people, that there can be peace and unity among us. Thank you, Lord, for giving the office bearers, and thank you for the faithful work that they do, and grant your grace to us also through them. Please hear our prayer now, Lord. Please accept our thank offerings. Please accept the songs that we sing to you. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning the collection is going to be for the, the work of the Ministry of Mercy, and specifically for the work that's being done at Pindari. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together the faithfulness of the Lord, hymn 66, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
See now the blessing of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.